Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Amy. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Oh my God, I'm so startled. I was not expecting you to start the episode this way. I loved that. Yeah, by the time this episode airs, it will have been Amy's birthday. Yes. And as Monique and Donna informed me this weekend, it's apparently my Jesus year. That's right. The heathen didn't know. I forgot. (laughs) 33, baby. Hey, man, if you make it to 34, you're already in better shape than our Lord and Savior. So, you know. (laughs) It's like a crazy, Monique. Let's not go that far. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm excited for my birthday. Yeah. I don't have anything crazy planned, but I'm kind of okay with that. Mm. It's a Saturday. It is a Saturday which I feel like I should have something crazy planned. But again. Yeah. Mine is a Saturday this year as well. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Girl. But the thing with my birthday, that's one, every time it's a Saturday birthday, I feel like the expectation's too high. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. So it's always a bummer. Yep. And then sad because I'm, my birthday's two days before Halloween. When my birthday's a Saturday, that's when everyone uses it as their Halloween. Yes. And then Halloween's on the fucking Monday, right? Yeah. Ooh. Lame. Yeah, super lame. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing either. You should do something. Nothing crazy, but something. I'll do something. Yeah. I feel like I already got to have like a pre-birthday celebration (laughs) because we went to Donna's this weekend. And one, I got to see you, which I haven't seen you in six fucking months, basically. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Which is insanity. Yes. And two, I got to meet Donna for the first time, which was fucking awesome. She's great. She's amazing. And I had the best time. First of all, did Monique make me an entire cheesecake for my birthday? Yes, she fucking did. (laughs) Because she's amazing. Two, is the rest of that cheesecake already gone because I literally ate it for breakfast three days in a row? That's your fucking ass it is. (laughs) Yes. Girl, it was so good. I was like, this has eggs in it. It's like basically breakfast. It's fine. It's the same. Yeah. We always make it for Christmas. And since Christmas Eve is the big day for Cubans... That's always my Christmas morning breakfast is cheesecake. So good. No regrets. (laughs) Exactly. I also got to have Dole Whips for the first time because despite being a Florida girl, apparently that escaped my, uh, my worldview. One, I can't believe that that's, I'm still in shock over that. I know. But two, I'm glad that we could pop that, that Dole Whip cherry. Popped it. No regrets again. It was fucking delicious. They're so good. Boozy Dole Whips. Fuck yeah. Boozy Dole Whips. Mm-hmm. Delish. Yeah. So I was like, also played Ouija for the first time. So many cherries were popped while I was at Donna's. There were so many things happen. Yeah. So many things. And then you like got to experience a little spooky thing that I completely missed. It was a little weird. But again, it's like when you tell the story to people, it does not sound like nearly as... It seems lame. Yes. Like, <laughs> long story short, we were in the middle of switching Ouija boards because we used Monique's beautiful round board at first. And we think mm-hmm. they were a little confused by that. They weren't having it. So while Donna was getting her board, Monique decided to give me a tarot reading. And then when Donna came back, she apparently was not feeling Monique's reading, but wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, Donna has a book. It's the Tarot Bible where it explains all the... Yes. And like, I know what a lot of the individual cards mean, but not necessarily how to read them together. So I'm like reading the individual cards and I'm kind of like, oh, this doesn't really feel right. Like I'm reading what's in the Tarot Bible and I'm like, this this reading doesn't feel right. Like 
you know, it doesn't feel right. And I continue the story. <laughs> so Monique doesn't feel that it's right. And I, Donna's getting the same vibe, but she's so nice that she's not going to say anything. <laughs> and then she's literally just sitting at the table next to me with her hands kind of like steepled under her chin mm-hmm. and the pen. She was our transcriber for the Ouija. So there was a pen and paper between her elbows but I was watching her and it, she did not touch the paper or the pen at all. And the pen like rolled back and forth for a second, which again, sounds very lame. And everyone's just like, I mean, yeah, she bumped the pen, but Donna did not touch the pen. And like, I could see that she pulled back and was very like startled by what happened. And then I immediately was just like, yes, I saw that too. The pen just like rolled back and forth. And I, I didn't see you touch it. You obviously didn't feel yourself touch it. So a little strange. Yeah. And Donna took that as a sign to be like, I need to take over this reading because this, it's like, this is not the right reading. Yes. And so she did. And then her reading seemed much more on point. Yes. Yeah. It made sense. But yeah, the ghosts weren't having it. And they were like, uh, yeah. Hi. Pen jiggle. Monique's shitting the bed guys. <laughs> Donna, get on this. <laughs> well, again, thank you both Donna for hosting us and you for making this this wonderful night happened. I got so many wonderful gifts from Monique as well, in addition to the cheesecake <laughs> and Dole Whips. Well, also I had bought things, you know, on trips and stuff, but again, we haven't seen each other. <laughs> Amy and I haven't seen each other in six fucking months. So it was like, like when she thought she had the shower ghost, I'd gone to New Orleans. So I got her sage. And then it was like a couple weeks later, I was like, actually, no, this is totally above board. And I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> so I was like, this is completely irrelevant now. But yeah, <laughs> so there was just like an accumulation of knickknacks and things. I love it. She stored up all of my gifts for me for the past like six months. <laughs> yes. Am I still going to put this sage to use? Yes. Let's. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, got to come on. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to invite anything in. Like, exactly. Might as well. Just like, yeah. Smudge. Yeah. Smudge away. It's a little smudgy smudge. Did you do anything interesting this weekend besides hang out with me and Donna? I did. I spent the weekend feeling very overwhelmed with blessings of one, the amazing people that I have in my life, obviously present company included. And that even though I work like crazy. And I don't get to see most of them. I did get to see a lot of those people this weekend, which was so wonderful. And I saw two Broadway shows. Nice. So I saw MJ, the musical again for the third time because it's phenomenal. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And it also doesn't hurt that I live across the street from it. So right there. And I saw Company, which I had zero like point of reference about it. Okay. There's one song that's very famous, Ladies Who Lunch, that I knew because you kind of have to know it. It's just, it's like that big of a deal. I had no clue what the show was about. I thought it was about working at a company, not wanting company, just what it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that would have been my assumption too. Yeah. And the scene I had seen of Ladies Who Lunch, of like Elaine Stritch or Patti LuPone doing it, everyone's in suits. So I, I figured it was like a businessy thing. Working girl. Yeah. Business, business lady doing business. Totally wrong. No. (laughs) Okay. It starts with, uh, Bobby and it's their 35th birthday. And it's all like, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? Like, why aren't you like, you're 35? What the fuck? When are you getting married? And originally Bobby is a man 
And they have gender swapped a lot of the roles in this production where Bobby's a woman and the other couples, like there's a gay couple, like it was so wonderful. And so, and it just made so much sense that I'm like, I couldn't imagine it the other way. I love that. Okay. And I'm like, I mean, I'm pretty sure from now on, because one, the, the casting of like, you know, casting like a same sex couple as one of the couples, obviously in the seventies, that wasn't a thing. So it's a much more inclusive casting and representation. It was really great and wonderful. And I just, I really can't even imagine it played another way with like the original genders and roles. So it was really great. And it's, it was one of those things that I just was feeling very blessed to live in this wonderful city and have access to, you know, Broadway shows and top caliber performances and, you know, just be like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to do a matinee today and be able to do that. Um, because I'm pretty sure I told you that I recently met a man who was proud of the fact that he lived in New York for 13 years and had never seen a Broadway show. Yes. Did I not say that? Yep. You did. And it's like, dude, yeah, that's, I wouldn't be proud of that. And I would not be bragging about it. No, don't be proud of that. Yeah. Don't be proud of the fact you've gone out of your way to be uncultured. Get out of here. Stop. And it's like, one of those things, like as a person who doesn't really care for musicals and which most Broadway performances are musicals, Mm -hmm. that's not my cup of tea necessarily, but like I have for sure been to one before and I would go if somebody invited me to one that I really wanted to see or that was very highly recommended. Or if that's not your thing, like maybe you like to go to museums, which is another thing that New York has a ton of and that leads itself to being the fucking culture capital of the world. Like, so I could see like that not being your thing, but I would qualify that. I wouldn't just brag about it and be like, yeah, thanks. I don't go to any performance. But like, that's not really my thing. I'm more likely to go to like a museum or go see an art exhibit or something. I don't know. Well, he qualified it in the dumbest way possible. He's like, a woman's never invited me and I'm not going to invite a man because no homo, essentially. Okay. It's like, ugh. Get over yourself. Yeah. For sure. And also I'm embarrassed for you. Literally. Like, also, why the fuck are you living here? I know, right? Go live somewhere that it's cheaper. That's part of the reason it's so expensive to live here. Yes. Because you have access to Broadway. Like, any band you like is going to come through New York. That's why you live here. Oh, hands down. All the limited release movies. Thank you. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So that was really great. But the thing that needs to be discussed, did you watch the finale of Stranger Things? I did. Did you watch the finale of Stranger Things? I cried so much. Girl. Oh my God. I needed like a mental health day, like to like deal with what happened. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. I mean, I think it was amazingly done. Oh yeah. I I loved it, uh, but I cried a lot. Like I, you know, I'm going to say MVPs of the series of, well, of this season anyway, Gaten Matarazzo, who plays Dustin, Sadie Sink, who plays Max. Joseph Quinn, who plays Eddie, and I'm thrown, and David Harbour, who plays Hopper. Always, yeah. I, those were the MVPs for me. They're fucking great. And <laughs> Christina had texted me, Have you seen? I was like, No, sh- shut the fuck up. Don't tell me anything. I haven't seen it yet. Shh, shh, shh. Yeah. <laughs> shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and then two days later, I texted, I was like, oh my God, I cried so much. And so we're like going back and forth of like different scenes, whatever. (laughs) This is not a spoiler. There's a quick scene where David Harper, who plays Jim Hopper, is shirtless. So Christina and I are texting and literally 
at the exact same time we're like can we talk about david harper being shirtless like holy fuck it was the exact same time we texted each other <laughs> because attention need to be paid i mean i get it sploosh central yes holy fuck good for him like he lost a bunch of weight for that role and like he looks phenomenal yeah like yeah geyser sploosh get the HVAC. I know. Basement is flooded. Holy fuck. Honestly, like when that happened too, and like that subsequent scene, I was, I was literally like Mm -hmm. already mentally separating myself. Cause I was like, this is, I mean, things are going to happen. They made me too happy. And I feel like they're going to bring me down after this, which was accurate, but oh my God. Like I, I love a curmudgeon with a heart of gold. I mean, yeah, like totally. I didn't know it was possible for me to love him. I was like, I mean, you love me. So that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Come on. (laughs) I would not categorize you as a curmudgeon. Aw. No, not at all. That's sweet, Moody. That's just because I'm not a curmudgeon to you. It's because I like you. That's (laughs) That's, fine. That's the difference. (laughs) Then I guess I'm nailing it. I'm not bringing out the curmudgeon. You're not. But yeah, I didn't know it was possible for me to be more in love or infatuated with Jim Hopper. And then that scene happened. Agreed. Agreed. Also, maybe I was like not spoiling too much, but I really appreciate the like realism of the ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it was not just a like deus ex machina fucking mm-hmm. situation. And that like shit got real and shit is like still real. I'm like, I can't wait for next season because of that. Because like there are there are consequences to what have what has happened in the show. So, yeah. So yeah. Cause next season is the last one. Eee! Monique. I know you just made me so sad. I'm so, I didn't do it. Mm. Take it up with the duffers. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm calling them. Got them on speed dial, sending them a text. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where they go from this. Ooh. Yeah. They'll do something else. Good. Yeah, of course. I mean, sure. Of course. But it's just, I think they said that the the last episode had more special effects than all of season three. I believe that. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's really interesting because when the last two episodes are, they clock in at at just uh, at about four hours. Yeah, I didn't realize they were so long. Mm -hmm. And somehow they they like kind of fly by. Oh yeah. Like the first one is the length of a movie and I like watched it one sitting and then was like, no, let's, I have more. Yeah. Continue. Play next episode. Thank you. And in the second episode, I was like, okay. I was like, all right. So we're wrapping it up. And I looked at like the timestamp. I was like, no, we got an hour left. I'm like, where the fuck are you going from here? What's happening? <sighs> it's amazing. It's great. I cried a lot. I'm very emotional. But the they're, the performances are really fucking, ah, oh, they're so good. They're just gorgeous. Like all of them. All the performances are great. They really are. Yeah. Yeah. Watch Stranger Things. And don't be a dick. Don't run the, don't spoil shit. Don't, don't run any, any of it. Yes. No spoilers. Mm-hmm. So anything else on that note? No, I was going to say, do you have anything for me? I have high expectations because of what I got for my last birthday from you during the episode. So, Oh fuck. No, no, you don't have that. I was like, I don't know if we have a theme. No. <laughs> so, Damn it. Monique. It's not an alien. Fuck. Uh, no, it's fine. You don't, obviously, you didn't have to cater the entire story to me, Monique. I completely forgot. No. Oh, my God. Stop. But it's not It's not, not necessarily catered to you. Oh. Because I am doing a celebrity ghost story. 
Okay, yay. Because it's definitely been a minute. Yes. I don't need an alien story. Celebrity ghost story for the win. Lay it on me, girl. Boom. So we're going to be doing Laura Prepon's story. I don't know if you remember, because it's fucking crazy. I feel like it's been a while, um, but I do enjoy her. I enjoyed her back in the day when she was Donna on that 70s show. Yeah. And obviously I enjoyed her in Orange is the New Black. Yeah. As Alex, I think her character is. Yes. Alex Foss. Yeah. Did you know that they did like a quote unquote new celebrity ghost stories in 2018, but it's not celebrity ghost stories? Oh, they get a celebrity and they get a psychic and then they go to a place that they that they were like, oh, I had an experience here with the psychic. This is haunting of? But it's called Celebrity Ghost Stories? No. What? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not familiar with this at all. I need to look into this clearly. I wasn't into it. Not going to lie. No. Because that's not Celebrity Ghost Stories. Thank you. It's not. Thank you. All right. So let's get into this shit. So Laura Prepon, who, as we just mentioned, is best known for playing Alex Foss in Orange is the New Black, and Donna Pinciotti in that 70s show was living with her boyfriend at the time, Chris Masterson, who you may know as Francis, the oldest brother and Malcolm in the Middle, and brother to Laura's That 70s Show co-star, Danny Masterson, who I was so in love with, but now he's like... Trash. Probably a a serial rapist, and I'm like, this is why we can't fucking have nice things. Have nice things, yep. (sighs) The two were living together in a ranch house in Agora Hills, 30 minutes outside of L.A., but none of their friends would ever make the trek to see them. So they often felt isolated over there. Not to mention that the two were filming their respective TV shows in Los Angeles, so they decided to move back to LA to be closer to work and their friends. They found a beautiful old white English manor, and Laura remembers falling in love with it as soon as she walked in. So they moved into the house. They got the house and they moved in. And the main bedroom was located on the second floor and had a little sunroom off to the left that opened into the bedroom that had French doors. But immediately walking into the main bedroom, Laura felt that something was off. That room was always 15 degrees cooler than the rest of the house, and the hairs on the back of her neck would stand up whenever she was in that room. But Laura just chalked it up to bad feng shui. You know, nothing that some new furniture and a paint job couldn't fix. Girl, denial's a hell of a drug. Right? Like what, the plant's in the wrong corner? No, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Dude. So they hired someone to paint the room, and while they were redoing the bedroom, the couple was staying in the guest room. And the first sign that there was something in that room was one night when they were fast asleep with their dog Lambert in tow, they were woken up to a loud bang. Usually, that would cause Lambert to bark, except he didn't. He was cowering at the noise. She'd never seen him react like that, and as soon as she saw her dog, she knew that something wasn't right. The bang was so loud that Chris was afraid that there might be an intruder. So he got out of bed, got his gun, and decided to check out the house to see what was going on. He tried to get Lambert to go with him, but the dog refused to go. Lambert was scared. Whatever made that noise freaked him out, so Chris went downstairs on his own to check out the house. And while he was down there, Laura decided to check the upstairs. She went into the main bedroom, and the French doors to the sunroom were unlatched and banging against the wall. She closed the doors and latched them again, even though she knew she had closed the doors and latched them before she'd gone to bed. And that's when the two of them started to think that maybe there might be something in that room. A couple days later, Laura's friend came over to help prep for Thanksgiving, which was the following day. And there was a lot of work to get finished that day because Chris and Laura were hosting a big Thanksgiving dinner. So in addition to prepping the food and vegetables, they had to finish painting their main bedroom. At about 8 p.m., while they were in the kitchen, they heard a knock at the front door and a woman's voice saying hello. 
So her friend went to answer the door while Laura continued chopping. And a few seconds later, her friend came back and said, quote, you heard that, right? End quote, meaning the knock at the door in the woman's voice. And Laura says, yeah. And her friend tells her that nobody was at the door. The two take a second to process the weirdness of that. And that's when the radio just blasted on. Initially, they were startled because the radio just turned on full blast. But then Laura's like, okay, where the fuck is that coming from? And they could tell that it was coming from upstairs. When they went to check it out, Laura could hear that it was coming from the main bedroom. So she went to the bedroom door. And when she opened it, the music, she said that the music was just blasting and playing so loud. And her attention went to the French doors that led to the sunroom. And on the floor in front of the doors was her painter's radio. And she trepidatiously walked over to the radio and turned it off and just bolted the fuck out of the room. And again, she's just like the queen of denial and like justifying shit. She's like, you know, the guy probably has an alarm on his radio, which it sucks because it scared her, but that's all it was. Nothing else. La 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 la. Prep for Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah. Just ignore it. It's fine. It's fine. It's not haunted as fuck. So the following day, the painter is in the bedroom putting the finishing touches on everything so they can be ready when their guests arrive for Thanksgiving dinner later. And Laura goes up to him and tells him that the alarm on his radio went off the night before and that it really freaked her out. And he looks at her puzzled and tells her that he doesn't have an alarm on his radio, but that he knows why that might have happened. And he tells her she doesn't do a good job. He tells her he doesn't want to freak her out, but that there's an old woman in her bedroom. Oh, yeah, totally. That totally wouldn't freak me out at all. Thank you so much, sir. I so appreciate this information. Yeah, very casual. Thank you. And the painter didn't do a good job because Laura was freaked the fuck out. She was scared and she's not the type to scare easily or at all. But the fact that there was an old woman haunting her bedroom absolutely scared the shit out of her, which with fucking good reason. Yeah, no, thank you. Hard, hard pass. Sorry, Grandma, get the fuck out of my fucking bedroom. Absolutely not. (laughs) Dude, get the fuck out. The painter finished up and they got the house ready for Thanksgiving dinner that night. Her friends all showed up. And in addition to being Thanksgiving, it was a new house. So there's a lot of excitement and Laura was showing everyone around. And two of her friends said that they wanted to check out upstairs. And as soon as they said that, Laura got a pit in her stomach, but she was basically like, cool, have fun. So her two friends go upstairs and Laura stays downstairs to entertain the rest of her guests, offering drinks and passing out hors d'oeuvres. And everyone is just having a wonderful time. I love that she didn't offer to like take them upstairs and give them a tour. She's like, no, no, you're good. Just like you can find it. It's like, no, bitch, you're on your own. You can find it. Yeah. I'm going to stay here. Cool. And get the <laughs> drinks and every and other people. Yes. So good luck with that. So everyone's having a great time. And then they all hear screams coming from upstairs. And the whole party's like, what the fuck is going on? So they all rush to go upstairs where they meet her two friends running down the stairs in a fucking panic. And they tell Laura, oh my God, you won't believe what we just saw. We walked into your bedroom and we saw an old woman. (sighs) You're like, well, that's not my bedroom anymore. I'm sleeping on the couch. And Laura just went like sheet white. She was like, all the life was sucked out of her. She's like, oh my God, like, holy fuck. There's... (laughs) <laughs> not, not not just my painter fucking told me that there's an old woman in my room. Two of my friends have just fucking seen her. What the fuck? So one of the friends who saw her goes, listen, I'm going to go call my mom. And Laura's like, what? Why are you going to call your mom? And her friend tells her that her mom has experience with this kind of stuff. So she's going to call her and see what they should do. And granted, 
Laura has never experienced anything like this before. And she's at her wit's end and she's beyond freaked out. Not to mention, this fucking ghost is kind of ruining Thanksgiving. So she's like, fine, fuck it, call your mom. Yeah. So this woman calls her mother and puts Laura on the phone. She tells Laura, I'm going to need you to go back up to your room. And they walk up to the bedroom and Laura is standing in the doorway because she really doesn't even want to go in the room. And the woman on the other end of the line says, is there a little room off to the left? And granted, this woman's mother has never been to Laura's house before. She doesn't even live in the state. She lives across the country in Florida. And her friend didn't tell her anything or fill her in on what was happening. She literally said, this is Laura and handed over the phone. Full body chills, by the way, just for the record. Girl. No, I can't. No, 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 no. And Laura's eyes go straight to the French doors that lead to the sunroom. So she tells the woman, yes. And very calmly, the woman says, okay, she's in there. And that's when the woman appeared and Laura saw her and they screamed and ran downstairs. And granted, (laughs) Laura's friend's mother is still on the phone with her. And she says, okay, I need you to stay out of that room for half an hour. Do not go up there a second before that. And Laura looks at her watch and she agrees. And the woman tells her to call her back in half an hour. And she says, okay. And they hang up. And Laura has no clue what the fuck is happening upstairs, but she's trying to stay calm because again, she has a house full of guests and this crazy shit is happening. Yeah. I'm just trying to fucking bake a turkey. Like I don't have time for this. I've got cranberry sauce on the stove. Literally, because Thanksgiving is not fucking stressful enough you have this fucking situation happening. Right? Like, the ghost has very poor timing. Like, (laughs) I would be so infuriated. I would be like, you couldn't have waited till tomorrow when I was, like, in a food coma and I just had to deal with leftovers. Ugh. Yeah. Inconsiderate. Yeah, inconsiderate ghost. Fuck you. Crash on the party. Half an hour later, Laura and the two friends who had seen the ghost met at the bottom of the stairs together, and they cautiously walked up the stairs to go to the bedroom. And as soon as they opened the door, the energy was completely different. The vibe was different. It felt cozy. Laura said that the room even looked different. Laura said it felt as if nothing had ever been up there because whatever was up there was gone. And they never had a problem again after that. Laura had no clue what her friend's mother had done. And later on, when she talked to her, she asked her, what did you do? And she said, well, I asked her to leave. And Laura was like, Cool. Okay. Because it worked. Thanks. (laughs) Damn. I didn't know it was that easy. You're just like, hi, actually, uh, could you leave? I'm sorry. I hate to be this person, but like, this is my house. And like, can you just leave? You're crashing the party. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Damn. I thought she was going to have like a coconut from afar or something. Just like rubbing the phone. Girl, I don't know. I can't imagine it was that. Like if it was half an hour. I think there was more shit going on. Yeah. She's not revealing secrets. Yeah. That's what I think. Her like cool witchy secrets. Yeah. No. I mean, that's right. Definitely lit a candle at least or something. I feel like. Oh yeah. You know, some meditation shit. I don't know. A trance. Yes. Thank you. I don't know. At the very minimum, a trance. I think so. Yeah. So that is the story of Laura Prepon's haunted house. And realistically, not from Laura's perspective, but as a guest, Like, the best Thanksgiving ever? Let's be fucking real. I would kill to be at that Thanksgiving. Right? Seriously. It's better, way better than any of my family Thanksgivings. Hands down. 10,000%. Oh my God. I feel like we all need one of those 
friends' moms on our retainer. Girl. Yeah. To call up at a moment's notice. Yeah. How lucky for her. Like if she had a bunch of friends like me, I'd be like, (laughs) good luck with that. Just like stay out of that room and like sell your house immediately. (laughs) I'd be like, all I got's the coconut. That's it. I know. Now I know the coconut, but. After the coconut, I got nothing. (laughs) Coconut and priest party. That's it. (laughs) That's that's all you really need, apparently. So you're fine. (laughs) Or telling someone, just, could you leave, please? Yeah. Apparently they're pretty responsive to just general, uh general request. I don't think so. I think this was a very polite ghost because I've heard other things with like, can you just fucking leave? And they're like, nah, that's a no for me, dog. Yeah. This is a haunting. I don't know if you know, but like, no, (laughs) I'm in it to win it. Thanks. Exactly. Boom. But yeah, this was like a nice old lady ghost. She was like, oh, okay. I just got lost. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I'll, I'll leave though. (laughs) I'll leave. At least that's what I'm picturing. I guess so. Yeah. Well, I loved that story so much. I actually did not remember a majority of that. I do remember that she was living in a haunted house, but I didn't remember that it was like Thanksgiving and she called her friend's mom and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, best Thanksgiving ever. Yeah. Best Thanksgiving ever. And yay. Thank you for my uh, birthday celebrity ghost story. I loved it per usual. I got you. Happy birthday. Thank you. I feel so special now. I didn't need an alien story. You were right. (laughs) Celebrity ghost story. Gotta love it. For the win, always. Yes. For the win, always. All right. So does that mean you're ready for a little true crime? All day, every day, baby. Fuck yeah. All right. So I am a little late to the party on this one because 4th of July was last weekend. But... Right. (laughs) Of course it has to be a fucking theme. Themes on themes. Themes on themes. Of course. I don't know what, you know, I totally didn't see it coming. I don't know why. (laughs) You've met me, right? A year and a half in, I should, I should have seen it coming. Definitely should have seen this coming. That's my bad. (laughs) I was like, you can be forgiven for that. It's kind of a weird theme to go on. I know, but uh, I was actually really fascinated. It's very niche. It is very niche. So sources, excerpts from the book, Death on the 4th of July by David A. Newert, seattletimes.com, newyorktimes.com, culteducation.com, splcenter.org, seattlepi.com, and cnn.com. Min Hong and his twin brother Hung grew up in Seattle after their family immigrated to the United States from Vietnam in 1980 when they were just six years old. The family started a restaurant, which became a staple in the boys' lives. The two graduated from Interlake High School in Bellevue before attending Bellevue Community College together. The twin brothers led fairly sheltered lives, When they weren't attending school, they were working at their parents' teriyaki shop, and most of their free time was spent with their family or a small circle of friends. The family was known to be extremely private, and both Min and Hung are quiet, studious young men. While sometimes shy, those that knew them said they also possessed great warmth and energy. Both are slight of build, with thick glasses and a scholarly demeanor. Min is slightly taller, while Hung is the more outgoing of the two, with a sprightly sense of humor. Mm. At 26 years old, the boys had never taken a trip away from Seattle without their parents before. But in 2000, the two decided to buy some fireworks and take a trip to Ocean Shores, Washington for the 4th of July holiday to set them off. They made reservations at the Shiloh Inn and convinced their parents to let them drive the family's gold Honda the two hours to the small coastal city known for its five-mile stretch of bleach sand and Pacific surf. Located in Gray's Harbor, which was originally known for its logging and fishing industries, 
Ocean Shores has since been transformed into a sand and surf tourist getaway that promotes itself as a laid-back beach town with quaint boutiques and shops. On a typical day, the city is home to only around 3,000 people, but on busy weekends in the summers, the town's population can swell up to 50,000 people. Oh, shit. Yeah. I can't even imagine. That's be a fucking nightmare. That's my nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the city's busiest days is the 4th of July. But despite the fact that Ocean Shores depends heavily on tourism, many residents, especially the younger ones, resent the influx of tourists into the city. On Monday, July 3rd, 2000, Min and Hung drove to the seaside resort town with their friend from high school, Doug Chen, riding in the back seat. A couple of girlfriends were joining them on the trip, but drove in a separate car. The men arrived in Ocean Shores around mid-afternoon, and after checking into the inn, went to walk on the beach for a while. After dinner that evening, they hung out at the hotel's pool and spa until a little after midnight. They were hungry after their swim, so decided to drive over to the convenience store to get a snack. It was about 1.30 a.m. on the morning of July 4th when Min, Hung, and Doug pulled into the parking lot of the Texaco station. The convenience store was busy at that time of night since last call to purchase beer there was 1.45 a.m. and there were anywhere from 20 to 30 people milling around outside. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Which, like, that's how little's going on in this town is, like, people are chilling at the gas station. It's almost, like, 2 in the morning. Go home. Yes. No. Go home. And we're at a gas station, basically, to buy beer because that's the only thing that's still open. Mm Mm-mm. The joys of living in New York City. <laughs> Girl. You can, be into, you can be in a bar till like four to six in the morning. Don't I know it. I accidentally did that last week. <gasps> I love that. I left the bar and the sun was out and I was like, fuck. You're like, damn. It's only happened a few times, but it's like, ah, damn it. Wasn't ready for that. Yeah, no. It's when you just power through. You get a mimosa, keep going. <laughs> and you're like, breakfast drinks. It's good. It's got orange juice in it. Boom. Exactly. One of them was a man named Chris Kinnison. Kinnison was the 20-year-old only child of a single mother. He had attended high school in Ocean Shores and gained a reputation in the community as a troubled teen. He eventually dropped out of school and left home, drifting 50 miles east to Olympia. But he still occasionally came back to visit friends in Ocean Shores and had come back for the holiday weekend for that very reason. At 6 foot, 2 inches, and 220 pounds, Kinnison was a boy in a big man's body. He was loyal to his friends and even sweet at times, but was also unpredictable and dangerous and was known for liking to drink, get high, and fight. A terrible, terrible combination, if I ever heard one. Yep. Yep. That night, Kinnison and his friends hung out and drank beer at a beach bonfire before they decided to walk to the Texaco for last call. There were about five or six of them, all young white men with shaved heads or close-cropped hair. As soon as the Hongs pulled up and got out of their car, Kinnison and his friends started antagonizing them. They waved the Confederate flag, screamed racial slurs and white power at them, and demanded they go home as the three Asian men made their way into the store. Once the three were inside, Kinnison banged on the store's window, pointed at them through the glass, and repeatedly drew his finger across his throat. When one of the women there that night asked Kinnison what he was doing, he replied, it's called racism. Thank you for that. It wasn't apparent to literally every fucking person here. Thanks. Yeah. What a piece. Of, like, I just don't understand. You could also just leave them alone. Yes. So it's an option. Yes. But not if you're trash. Oh, clearly. Right. Yes. Min could hear a woman his brother had spoken with tell the clerk to call 911. The clerk looked briefly outside, but said he saw nothing and refused to make the call. Fuck you. Yep. To Min, it became clear that no one was going to help them. 
frightened by the large man with a Confederate flag and a clean-shaven head waiting for them outside, Min grabbed a package of two four-inch paring knives with plastic handles hanging from one of the racks in the store and stuffed them inside the pocket of his jacket. Oh, shit. Yeah. Eventually, Kinnison stopped banging on the windows, presumably due to a police car that was driving by around that time, Mm. but it left, and the lull convinced Min and his companions that maybe it was safe to leave the store. But as soon as they were through the door, Kinnison and his friends, who were lurking between them and their car, resumed their racist France against the three Asian men. But even as they tried walking around the men, one of them spat on them. They made it back to their car safely, but watched as Kinnison walked in front of their car, waving the Confederate flag and preventing them from leaving. When they heard something hit the back of their car, they knew they were surrounded. Min grabbed his cell phone and dialed 911, but his service wouldn't connect. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would be freaking the fuck out if my phone was not working. Yes. And the fucking clerk is not helping you. Right? Yeah. No. This is a terrible situation all around. Yeah. Fearing they were trapped, Hung and Doug got out, intending to flee. Instead, Hung suddenly found himself face-to-face with Kinnison, who didn't hesitate to throw a punch. Hung put his hands up in a defensive position, but the blow was still powerful enough to knock his glasses off and stagger him. Mm. Kinnison hit him again, knocking him to the ground. When it looked as though he was about to start kicking him, Min came rushing out of the car to help his twin brother. At the same time, Brock Godek, one of Kinnison's friends, had flattened their friend Doug Chen with a single punch. Min attacked Kinnison, but was hit as well, and his glasses also went flying. When Kinnison grabbed Min by the throat, the smaller man reached inside his pocket for the knives. Min tried to stab Kinnison, but was said he was unsure if his blows had connected. What happened after that is slightly unclear, since the witness accounts are at the same time vague and contradictory. Some witnesses said that Kinnison and his friends never surrounded the car. One of Kinnison's friends, Gabe Broda, claimed that the three men had a clear chance to leave, but came back to attack them. While a young woman who had gone to high school with Kinnison had briefly chatted with Hung inside the convenience store, who she later incorrectly identified as Min, and claimed at the end of their conversation, he muttered, well, he's going down. What was clear was that most of the bystanders were unaware of the severity of the fight, and no one knew about the knife. Mm. They just saw Min Hong flailing away at Kinnison, who easily had six inches and 75 pounds on the brothers. Mm-hmm. But despite their vast size difference, it soon became apparent that Kinnison was losing the fight. He was still standing, but seemed to be dazed. He eventually broke free and ran towards a friend's truck. By that time, Doug had already retreated back to the car, and the Hongs were finally able to flee to the Honda as well. Another of Kinnison's friends handed Hung his glasses through the driver's side window and told them they better get the hell out of there. Hung proceeded to gun the engine and peel out of the parking lot. As the men drove off, Kinnison staggered back against his friend's pickup truck before sagging to the pavement. Completely unaware that he had been stabbed, when his friends peeled off his red-stained t-shirt, they were shocked to find blood pouring from 23 puncture wounds. Oh, shit. Yeah. The Texaco clerk finally called 911, and officers from the Ocean Shores Police Department arrived on the scene a few minutes later. Oh, so he called 911 for the white guy? Yeah. Yeah. He was, like, bleeding out and dying. Oh. Hmm. Nice. I was like, the racist threats and the, yeah, he apparently didn't see any of that. And so it wasn't a big deal. He just like, fuck you. Yeah. He just thought they were like being a little rowdy, you know, the playful racial harassment. 
the light, you know, non-threatening kind. Threatening you with physical violence, you know? Yeah. Playful. Totally fine. Cute. (sighs) I know. Infuriating. They found Kinnison lying in a pool of blood, and although his eyes were half open, he was no longer responding to queries. An ambulance pulled up and began trying to resuscitate Kinnison as they loaded him up and drove away, but they were far too late. Two of the stab wounds to the left and right ventricle were fatal, and even if paramedics had been there the moment it happened, it's unlikely they would have been able to save him. Kinnison was declared dead on arrival at the local hospital. As the ambulance pulled away with Kinnison, the police began questioning witnesses at the scene. They noted the racial taunts, but since no hate groups had seemingly been involved, they were not treating this as a hate crime and were proceeding. Oh my God. Yes, as though they were dealing primarily with a homicide. The police barely questioned the witnesses about the kind of threats that had been made, who had participated in them, or how long they had been continuing. And neither of Kinnison's friends, who had, according to multiple witnesses, participated in the racial harassment, Brock Godek and Gabe Rhoda, were questioned that night about their roles in the attack. Of course not. They, you got to give them time to get together to get their stories straight. So infuriating. Fuck this place and fuck these people. Right? You guys are not nailing it. No. And you're kind of trash. You're very trash. You're soy trash. Soy trash. Soy trash. The Hongs had driven off in a blind panic, fearing that the men would follow them. They got lost briefly due to their panic before eventually finding their way back to the Shiloh Inn. Min and Hung had both suffered several cuts that needed tending, and Min in particular was bleeding from deep cuts in his hands, which they wrapped with tissue and tape as best they could. But afterwards, the men were unsure what to do. Their first instinct was to simply flee, so they packed up and headed down to the lobby to check out. But upon further reflection, they decided they needed to call the police and report the attack, still unaware that the fight had turned deadly and already been reported. Mm. The men went to the front desk and asked the night clerk to call the police. They reported the attack to the dispatcher, describing their terror at the men's racist remarks and Confederate flag and commenting that they had smelled like beer and appeared to be drunk. When the police came to question the men, Min was afraid to confess to the stolen knife and instead told officers that he didn't know where it had come from or where it had gone. Mm. Although he later admitted to police that he had thrown it from the window of the car after they had driven away. When the police finished with the interrogations of the three men, they released Doug Chen and took the Hong brothers to the hospital. In the meantime, a Seattle attorney called the Ocean Shores Police Department and said he had been asked by the Hong's family to represent them, but was told that the Hong's hadn't requested an attorney yet. When an officer joined them a couple hours later in their hospital room, they were informed that the man Min had stabbed, Chris Kinnison, had died from his wounds and that the Texaco clerk had reported the stolen knives. Min admitted to taking the two knives from the store, but said that Hung had not known he'd had them with him. Min told the officer that he never intended to kill Kinnison, only to stop him. Regardless, the officer gave Min Hong the number of the Seattle attorney who had called earlier and suggested giving him a call before he placed both brothers under arrest for suspicion of murder. Ugh. Girl, I fucking know. I fucking know. Yes. This is so fucking wild. It's open and shut. Sorry, it is. This guy was a piece of shit. And he so very clearly acted in self-defense. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry, if you're going to start some shit and then you get stabbed by the person you were starting shit with, like, that's that's on you, dude. That's totally on you. Too bad. Sorry. Yeah. Leave people the fuck alone and you won't get stabbed by them. Like, again, crazy. Yeah, it's really... Crazy concept here. Yes. <laughs> Hot take, I know. God. 
Hung was released the next day when it became clear that Bin had been the one wielding the knife and there was no evidence Hung had participated in Kinnison's death. Although there was one witness that reported that they had seen Hung holding Kinnison's arms behind his back while Min stabbed him, forensics experts determined that if his arms had been held behind his back, it happened only briefly since both of Kinnison's arms showed wounds consistent with someone swinging and fighting. Mm. And as unbelievable as it may seem, I feel the need to point out again that the police were not investigating this as a hate crime, even though it was clear that Kinnison had targeted the three men because of their race. When was this again? 2000. What the fuck? Like, I know that's fucking 22 years ago now, but seriously, not that long ago. No. Instead, police were looking at the incident as just an assault that had escalated to murder. Because although some witnesses described the group of young white men as quote-unquote skinheads, what with their shaved heads and Confederate flag, they didn't have an official connection to any known white supremacist groups. And one of the most common myths about hate crimes, which still holds sway with authorities, is that they are the work of organized hate groups rather than the random acts they typically are. In addition, Kinnison's friends and other Ocean Shores residents who had been there that night claimed that Chris wasn't a racist, despite all the evidence to the contrary. Everything? Literally everything? Yes, literally his whole demeanor and everything he did and said. And they insisted that the racial slurs had just been used to instigate a fight. So guess what? If you do that, then you're a racist. Yes. Yes. No, he just wanted to fight. He would have picked a fight. That was just like what he, yeah. He just wanted to pick a fight specifically with them because they were of a different race. So he pointed that out to them repeatedly, but he's not racist. Yes. No, he just liked to fight. And he happened to bring up their race because he knew that would make them want to fight him. Clearly. Is these people's logic. I don't fucking believe that, obviously. I can't. One person who knew the group of young men and was at the Texaco that night said they would say anything to start a fight. Why do these people have so many fucking friends? It's because it's a small community. Get better friends. And definitely don't defend any of this bullshit. Yeah, I mean, ideally, these are great friends for him because they uh, apparently don't think you're racist when you're very obviously completely racist. And I'm like, no, he's like a nice guy. What? Others who came to Kinnison's defense were quick to point out that one of his friends is half Filipino and his uncle is African-American. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. I cannot with any of this bullshit. I know. So apparently he couldn't possibly be racist. Like, that's crazy. What? No, I know. I know what have I'm totally legit, guys. Oh, God, I hate I hate all this. I hate this so much. I know. Yes. But while Kinnison's friends deny that they had any run-ins before the one with the Hongs and Chen, just one day before the fight at the gas station, police discovered that Kinnison had been with a group of white men who confronted two Filipino families while they were visiting Ocean Shores for the weekend. But not because they're racist, just because they, they were there. Of course not. The men shouted at them and punched at the windows of their cars, and it wasn't until one of the Filipino men pulled out a 45 caliber handgun and placed it on the dash that the men finally backed off. I didn't mention, obviously, racial slurs galore during this altercation. Yeah, of course. Of course. The Filipinos fled from the altercation and flagged down an Ocean Shores police officer. One of the women said she and several others insisted they wanted to press charges, but that the officer discouraged them. Fearing the men would try to follow them, the families asked for the police to at least escort them out of town. The police, on the other hand, insisted the victims simply hadn't wanted to press charges, 
Hence why they were unable to make any racial harassment arrests at the time. Fuck you. Monique, your face. Correct. Yes. Double birds. Fuck you guys. Fuck these people. Fuck this town. Right? Uh, For the record, the... You know how, like, sometimes we'll have, like, a a moniker that is a play on words for the name of the town? Ocean Shores is Open Sores. And I think that's that's very fitting. Which, ew. Ew. But that says a lot. Yeah. But fair after this. Mm -hmm. Because, again, not a cute look. No. Three hours after the Filipino tourists were escorted from the town, a private gathering in Long Beach, less than two hours south of Ocean Shores, was reportedly crashed by a caravan of trucks with Confederate flags. The crashers targeted the one Black and one Asian in the group, making racist remarks to the two and trying to start a fight with them. However, while Pacific County Sheriff's deputies did respond to the incident, they didn't take down the names of the men involved, so it could not be verified whether it had been Kinison's group. Mm. Yeah. You guys are so bad at your fucking job. So bad at your job. Or like intentionally so. They just, they're probably all friends or whatever. And it's like, probably agree with them. I just, this is so enraging. I hate this story. Girl, yes. Then on July 3rd, two days after the incident on Long Beach, 38-year-old Joe Scott from Seattle said he and his nephew were riding a moped on the beach when men in a Confederate flag waving truck shouted slurs and threats at them. Joe said he reported the incident to an officer on the beach but the Ocean Shores Police Department has no report on the incident. Shocking. Later the same day, 19-year-old Leo Hayes, an African-American man from the Aberdeen, was at a beach bonfire just north of town when he said a white man who introduced himself as Chris called him by a racial slur, pulled out a knife, threatened to stab him, then chased him off the beach. Can you imagine that shit being like, hey, dude, my name's Chris. Um, you're an N-word. Here's a knife. Like, that's the, the wildest shit in the world. That's the wildest shit in the world. Yes. I'm going to stab you. Run that way. (sighs) Like, that should be no one's reality ever. Ever. No. Fuck this guy. Yeah. Less than three hours after Hayes called police to report the incident, Kinnison's attack on men took place at the Texaco station. So literally, yes, they had an incident. And then less than three hours later, this happened. No, but he's a super cool dude. He's not racist. Yeah, he's totally fine. He's like super chill. What aren't you guys getting? He like just likes to fight. No, you have a problem and you're not identifying the pattern. Fine. Let's say he likes to fight. That's still a fucking problem. Yes, correct. That's a huge problem. Treat it as such. Yes. Thank you. And those were just the incidents from this weekend. Kinnison had several run-ins with the law and gained a reputation as a troubled teen when he was attending high school in Ocean Shores and pleaded guilty to charges of possession of marijuana and of a dangerous weapon and was eventually charged with malicious mischief. In 1997, a feud erupted between Kinnison's gang and a gang of native teens on the Quinault Reservation 30 miles north of Ocean Shores. Late one night in October, friends carried an injured Kinnison to the police station who told officers he was walking down the street when a quote-unquote, carload of Indians attacked him with baseball bats. Oh, my. Yeah. Awful. Just awful. Also, statistically, what are the odds of that? Very, very small. Minuscule to basically nothing. Like, let's be fucking real. Someone who has a pattern of starting shit with everyone, but just this carload of people show up and are just like, fuck you, we're going to beat you up. Just because. 30 minutes north of where you live 
in like their hometown, basically. So yeah, I'm sure that's what the fuck happened. I hate this guy. Hate this guy. And I feel nothing that he said. Fuck him. I know. Don't care. I know. That was the one upside to the story, I will say. (laughs) Kinnison suffered massive bruises on his legs and unable to walk, was taken to the hospital. Kinnison was also involved in another racially charged incident in 1997 when a group of African-American teenagers on vacation told police that Kinnison had driven alongside them as they walked through ocean shores, calling them the N-word and threatening to hurt them if they didn't leave town. <sighs> Literally. So for three, at least for three years, this guy has been doing this. Like He's not racist though. No, of course not. But no charges were ever filed, and officials insisted that they had no basis to arrest Kinnison in the earlier altercations. Uh, I think you fucking did. I cannot. Yes. For one fucking second. Despite these racially charged incidents, people in the community still came to Kinnison's defense. Cindy Kim, a Korean immigrant who runs a gas station and store just down the street from the Texaco, said Kinnison and his friends were always polite to her. And while Ocean Shores is a predominantly white community... The few Black and Asian residents interviewed said, aside from the occasional off-color remark, they had not encountered race-related problems and most had never felt threatened. However, there is an innate human tendency to make excuses for the people we know, and this applies not only to friends and family, but also to the police. Because Ocean Shores is a relatively small community. There are only 13 officers on the entire police force, so it's safe to say everyone pretty much knows everyone. But human nature is only one part of the issue. A bigger part is that there is a real lack of hate crime training that teaches police how to recognize and deal with the essential elements of a hate crime. Mm -hmm. The problem has been further exacerbated by the failure of federal and local governments to fund these types of trainings, which has resulted in uncounted instances of failed criminal investigations and prosecutions of hate crimes. Mm -hmm. And contrary to popular belief, the typical perpetrator of a hate crime is not a skinhead inspired by hate groups, but is usually a fairly average person who otherwise fits in with his community. Mm. Though, of course, also likely subscribes to a number of prejudice. Yeah, of course. The idea of the violent, bigoted redneck is something of an overdrawn caricature, but they do exist. And because these people are usually known locally, particularly in rural towns like Ocean Shores, the communities and their officials who again have little experience with major hate crimes, tend to excuse local troublemakers as basically decent kids who are just out for a rowdy good time. Which, no. Absolutely not. That should not be anyone's idea of a good time. It's not until these people finally do spiral out of control that the community realizes their oversight. Min Hong was charged with first-degree manslaughter and, if convicted, was facing up to 10 years in prison. Damn. Yes! Like, for defending himself? Can you imagine? You just, like, are trying to fucking just get something at a gas station on a vacation. This bullshit happens? And they say that you're the asshole here? Seriously! Like, fuck right the fuck off! He pleaded not guilty and was released on $20,000 bail to await trial. The case divided the town. Some saw Chris Kinnison as the real victim and complained that Min was not being prosecuted for first-degree murder. Fuck off. Yeah. And there was even a far-right group associated with David Duke, the former Ku Klux Klan (gasps) leader, yep, that called on prosecutors to press murder charges against Min Hong. (sighs) 
Others condemned the authorities for trying men at all, since it had been clear that Kinnison had recently been involved in a series of racist incidents leading up to the attack on the Hongs and their friend. Mm-hmm. Hong supporters criticized police and prosecutors for not aggressively investigating these cases and identifying a pattern. Asian American and civil rights groups proclaimed from the start that Hong was the victim and that prosecuting him was unjust and sent the wrong message. Which, yes, correct. A hundred fucking percent correct. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. They also requested that the FBI investigate the Ocean Shores Police Department to determine whether they were negligent in responding to a pattern of racially based hate crimes over the course of the weekend. Spoiler, yes, they were. Yes, they were. They were. I I did it for you. There you go. (laughs) No need to charge me, boys. Like, I got this one. The investigation's over. This one's on the house. I got you. I got you. (laughs) Jinx. I love that. Since the attack on the Hongs had occurred after a four-day spree of racial harassment at the hands of Mr. Kinnison and his friends, civil rights groups insisted that had the police acted earlier, Kinnison would not have been free to harass the Hongs. Which, yes, because again, this was going on for four fucking days before this happened, and they had plenty of time to see this was an issue and fucking stop it. When Hong's case finally went to trial in December of 2000, prosecutors tried to convince the jury that the shy and studious five-foot-six-inch 123-pound defendant with no prior criminal record had willingly engaged in a street brawl with the six-foot-two, 220-pound, quote-unquote, victim. Get the fuck out of here. Do you listen to yourself? You sound insane. Get the fuck out of here. Yes. They also claimed that Min had stabbed Kinnison while his brother held Kinnison's arms and had acted recklessly in stabbing him so many times. Uh, He's fucking terrified for his life, by the way. Yes. He is not really cognizant of what he's doing because this is not premeditated. It's a, it's a defense reaction Yes, that you would have from an animal that's being attacked in the wild, like against a predator. Right. While on the witness stand, both of Kinnison's friends, Brock and Gabe, denied that they had ever participated in the verbal assaults that night, despite multiple witness testimonies to the contrary. And other witnesses on behalf of the prosecution claimed that they never saw Kinnison and his friends surround Hong's vehicle and prevent them from leaving. One woman even testified that she spoke to Min in the convenience store prior to the fight and that he had said he's going down at the end of their conversation. But Min testified that he had not spoken to the woman at all that night. And according to him, the woman's conversation had actually been with his brother, who had not known about the knives Min had stolen at the time and therefore likely would not have willingly instigated a fight with a clearly drunk and aggressive man who had six inches and 75 pounds on him. Mm -hmm. Min said he had been terrified for their lives at the time and had only attacked Kinnison after he had assaulted his brother, testifying that he hadn't been sure any of his blows with the knife had even made contact, let alone been severe enough to kill the large man. What witnesses had agreed on during the trial was the overwhelming threats and obscenities, the blatant racism, Kinnison's throat-slashing motions, and the presence of the Confederate flag, all of which painted a terrifying picture of what the three men faced. Mm. The craziest thing is, even though authorities had determined that Kinnison and his friends had been involved in at least two, more likely four, racially motivated incidents during a four-day spree, none of this evidence was allowed to be brought up at trial. Girl, I fucking know. It's so insane and so enraging. Like, I couldn't find out why, but like, that's the craziest thing I've ever fucking heard. Well, that's that bullshit where it's like, it's prejudicial. I'm like, how is it? It's a pattern of behavior. 
yes, it's like, it's proving my point. And I feel like that's why you don't want to include it. But thanks. 10,000%. Exactly. Exactly. But it quickly became clear that there was no evidence of recklessness or negligence on Min Hung's part. Even if the witnesses who said Kinnison didn't block the Hung's vehicle's exit and who claimed Min or his brother had said he's going down were to be believed, it was clear by all accounts that Min Hung had not been driving the car and only became involved in the fight after Kinnison had assaulted his brother. During the trial, members of the Ocean Shore's newly founded pro-diversity coalition, which was apparently widely publicized but not widely attended. Huh, shocking. Yeah. Attended each day of the trial to publicly denounce any white supremacist groups that showed up since several groups said they would attend the trial in support of Kinnison. But only one of them did. On the last day, a spokesman for the Western Washington chapter of the National Organization for European American Rights sat just behind Kinnison's mother, who ignored him. The man, David Jensen, had previously demanded men be tried for first-degree murder instead of manslaughter. The local chapter of the group, which is about three months old, claims more than 200 paid members and is part of the national group started by David Duke, a former imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. The prosecution tried to convince the jury that Min's claims of sheer terror were exaggerated and that he had gone beyond simply defending himself and his brother that night. The defense argued that there was no way Min had not been utterly terrified because pretty much anyone facing that situation would have been. Yes. And insisted that Min had only come to his brother's defense once it was clear they were being physically attacked by a man who had just threatened to kill them. Yeah. Need I make this more clear? After deliberating, 11 of the 12 jurors voted for Ming Hong's acquittal, believing that he had been genuinely terrified that night and had only been acting in self-defense when he accidentally stabbed Chris Kinnison to death. Who's the one asshole who's the holdout? Right? The racist of the group. Spoiler alert. Obviously. Yeah. Spoiler, you outed yourself, homie. (laughs) It's you. You're the racist. Thanks. Mm -hmm. The 12th juror refused to budge and court declared a mistrial. The case was closed in December, and the defendant, 27-year-old Min Hong of Seattle, was presumably free to go on with his life. He went on to study computer science while working at an internet company. The FBI, which had hovered in the wings for months, eventually opened its own investigation to determine whether others, mainly Kinnison's friends who had participated in the taunting and fighting, should be charged with violating Hong's civil rights. What the FBI said would have normally been a clear hate crime was complicated because Kinnison was the one who was killed. And as they pointed out, you can't prosecute a dead person. Also could not find any information on the results of that investigation, but it doesn't seem like Brock or Gabe was ever charged with anything or brought to trial for their participation in the attack. So, Also, of course, that dude's name is Brock. Like, of course it is. Right? douche like if you're brock and you listen to this like if your name is brock and you listen to this you're not trash but this dude's fucking trash yeah and he's giving you a bad name i know right fuck that motherfucker fuck that motherfucker unfortunately kinnison in death has become a hero in the underground network of white supremacists which has found increased support online and his case appears on at least six supremacist websites okay so what is the how was he a hero because he died being a racist Yes. Because they said he wasn't that much of a racist. They need to get their fucking story straight. Yes. He is being hailed as a martyr in the ongoing quote unquote race war. That is what one of the websites said. Because he like died for their cause, I guess, is the 
the twisted thinking on this. He's died because he's an asshole. Yes. I was like, yeah. I mean, he was racist, but like he was not championing your cause. He's just, again, an asshole. And he got what was coming to him. See, how is it that he's racist, but that he's not that racist, but he's still like a racist hero? Like, th- you need to figure out what the fuck your thing is. Yes. So it's like Ocean Shores people are like, no, he's not a racist. Like, we know him. Like, I went to high school with him. He's not a racist. Like, stop it. He just likes to fight. Whereas, like, the white supremacists are like, this is our fucking guy. He's super duper racist. He was doing, yes, the white supremacist lord's work. And we need to make him a martyr in our eyes, apparently. Yes. I've made so many faces during this story. I have loved all of your faces. They're all correct for the record. (laughs) I relate so hard to your faces right now, Monique. Because the story's outrageous. The story is outrageous. In the aftermath of the killing and the trial, Ocean Shores struggled to respond to the public relations blow, which is one of the main reasons many communities are reluctant to confront the issue of prejudice-based crimes to begin with because ultimately they fear for their town's reputations. This is reflected in national hate crime statistics, which are compiled annually by the FBI, since the majority of law enforcement agencies in rural counties and small towns in America continuously report zero hate crimes year after year, which we all know is just one, like statistically improbable, impossible, impossible, but also... Let's be fucking real. Guys, let's be fucking real. Just for example, Ocean Shores said they never had any hate crimes prior to this fucking incident. And yet I read off a list of like seven of them that they just didn't have reports for or press charges for. So it wasn't actually a hate crime. Guys, you're like being really uncool about the whole like racial taunts and slurs thing. Like we didn't mean it. We are just saying that to get your attention. I mean, this shit reminds me of like people during the pandemic when it's like, well, if you don't get tested, then you can't have COVID. It's like, no, you, you can. It's like, I don't have COVID. It's like, no, no, you can. You can. Yes. That's how that works. That is how that works. Like, no, if we don't report it, we don't have any of you guys. <laughs> it's fine. We got, a, we got an A on our report card. I just fucking, this is so enraging. And that it wasn't that long ago also is fucking nuts. Cool. And I'm sure that there's still places like that now. Yes. Overall, July 4th has significantly more violent crime than the typical day, according to the Boston Globe. In 2021, at least 233 people were killed and 618 people were injured by gun violence in more than 500 shootings across the country during the 4th of July weekend. Jesus. Which, believe it or not, yes, is actually a 26% drop from the year before. Girl when there were 314 fatal shootings with 751 injuries being reported during the same period for 2020. While the uptick in violence is partially due simply to an increase in the number of large gatherings and is exacerbated by alcohol-influenced decision-making. Drinking and all that, yeah. Yep. There are also those who, like Kinnison, simply take the 4th of July holiday as an opportunity to vent their racist beliefs under the guise of patriotism. Ew. But yes. So it's fucked up, but like apparently that is a big influence to people like this. Is like, this is America's holiday. Like, 
I am an American. And so that somehow translates to I need to start shit with people I've decided are not American. Exactly. I hate everything about this. I fucking know, Monique. I do too. Except for the fact that this guy died. I was so happy about that. I don't care if that makes me a bad person. I accept that. Don't give a fuck. He's an asshole. That's fine. Thank you. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. But patriotism does not equal racism. And the understanding and prosecution of hate crimes is essential to defending the democratic values of America. And that was the story of the hate crime on the 4th of July against Min and Hung Hong and Doug Chen and the completely justified, in my opinion, death of Chris Kinnison. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. So I hope everyone made it through their 4th of July safely. That story was nuts. It was Girl. fucking nuts. I am glad it didn't end how I originally thought it was going to end when I started reading this. Yeah. Which to me would have been much sadder and more tragic. Mm-hmm. Whereas I hope it ended as a lesson to any would-be racist hate crime perpetrators because that don't fuck with people. Yeah. You could wind up dead and you would deserve it. Rightfully so. Yep. Yes. Yes. So yeah, happy 4th of July, everybody. Yay. <laughs> happy 4th of July. Fuck this guy. That also rhymed. Yay. Yay. Love a rhyme. <laughs> Girl. And Min, good for fucking you. You stood up for yourself, you stood up for your brother, and you took this guy down, and he probably wouldn't have been stopped unless this had happened. So I think you did the world a favor. Yep. No one's missing him. Fuck him. Piece of shit. Fuck him. Piece of shit. Agreed. Court adjourned. Thank you, Monique. Yes. Cut for Emmy. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that story. I'd never heard of it. Uh, and it's just, I hate when people take something like patriotism and then turn it into something ugly. Make it gross. Yeah. Don't make it gross. Don't make it gross. It's like, I just, this is so like not crazy ideas. <laughs> just, Don't be a dick. Leave people alone. Thank you. And you can be patriotic without starting shit with other people. Yes. In fact, we prefer that because then people don't associate Americans with these racist assholes. Yep. Because those are the people who are apparently the most patriotic sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you could go out and, you know, be a better example to the world for Americans by not doing things like this, that would be great. Yeah. America would appreciate it, I'm sure. Greatly appreciated. And thank you for your story, my birthday celebrity ghost story. I'm very happy. Yeah. Creepy. Dude, if anyone has any possibility that this could be your Thanksgiving, I want to fucking invite. Yes. Truly. This sounds like the best Thanksgiving ever. Please and thank you. Yes. I'll bring food, I'll bring pie, whatever you need me to bring, but like... Hit a bitch up. Absolutely. Also, just realized we both did uh, holiday stories. We did both do holiday stories. (laughs) (laughs) Inadvertent themes. I live for that. Yes. Yes. Psychic sisters. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you haven't already, please follow us on the gram at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me, Monique Sanchez, at pinupgirlmo. You can find me, Amy Traden, at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot, period, Amy. Every sixth episode, which is next week, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read you your crazy stories. So if you have anything that's nuts and you think we would love to hear it and read it, or if you just want to say hi, 
Email us at anotherfuckinghorrorpodcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. As always, we're obsessed with you. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.